0: The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised.
1: Without freedom of the press, no democratic form of government could exist.
2: We switch you now to London. I'm standing on a rooftop, looking out over London. Good night and good luck. Good
3: evening from our CBS newsroom in
1: New York. NBC newsroom. presents
3: Chet Huntley and David Brinkley. From ABC, this is World News Tonight. With Peter Jennings in London, Max Robinson in Chicago, and from our desk in Washington, Frank Reynolds. Good evening.
1: This historic legislation to telecommunications law will create many, many high-wage jobs, will create opportunities, and better last for all Americans. When the press is free, the people of a country are free. When the press is not free, the people of a country are in danger of slavery.
4: Keeping you informed with
3: information, news, and the views of people making the news. It's the Nicole Sandler Show on NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network.
4: Show us the Mueller report Cause we deserve to know what's inside If it really meant Trump is innocent Then what are they trying to hide? The summary they let Congress see Is ridiculously short So all day long we'll be singing this song Show us the Mueller report Show us the Mueller report After all this time we've waited And though we've heard Trump misuse the word He was not exonerated With continued of investigations working their way through court We don't know what we don't know till you show us the Mueller report Show us the friggin' report Oh, how our curiosity burns And incidentally we'd still like to see What's in Trump's tax returns William Barr thinks his job so far Is finding oversight he can thwart But our song won't cease Until they release The full Mueller report with so many indictments what's incitement Trump at least committed a tort it rhymes so Mitch McConnell get out of your shell or must we yell and snort to show us show us the Mueller report
5: yeah. Oh, yeah. Show us the Mueller report. Damn it. It's long past time. You know, uh, I was looking at, at, at sort of the timeline of, of this whole Mueller report thing. And um, here, uh, 20 days ago, it was 20 days ago, the House of uh, Representatives voted unanimously. Actually, it was 420 to zero. There were a handful of Republicans who voted present. But for the most part, Nobody voted against this uh, uh, resolution, this House resolution requiring the administration to release the full Mueller report. 420 to nothing. The House voted unanimously to release the Mueller report. Two days later, Donald Trump said that he. I told the House caucus to vote that way. I did. I told them to vote to release the report. Four days later, Trump said the Mueller report should be made public. Make it public. Why not? Today, um, well, uh, they're all fighting it. They don't want the report released. In fact, oh, shoot, I, I pulled, I pulled the, um, uh, a, a clip of, of uh, the hearing this morning in which, um, Uh, and I'll tell you about it in a minute, but basically the House Judiciary Committee voted 24 to 17, I guess I'm telling you about it now, to um, subpoena the Mueller report. Uh, um, Let's see. It was to, um, uh, let's see, uh, issue a subpoena for special counsel Robert Mueller's full report and all of the underlying evidence Mueller collected. Um, And Jim Jordan... Yes, G.Y.M. Jordan, um, the guy who can't, you know, doesn't have enough respect for the House of Representatives to wear a jacket as per the rules, by the way, I should mention. Anyway, um, uh, Jim Jordan was, was like, "Scream!" we already know. It It, it clears him. And uh, I think it was uh, Leone, I'm pronouncing his name wrong, I'm sure, the guy from Rhode Island who I'm learning more and more about who seems to be pretty um, – um, Impressive. Uh, he's like, uh, "Excuse me, have you read the report? What are you basing your your deduction on?" And he said, "Well, the 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 principal summary is released by Attorney General Bill Barr." Well, you know what? We're adults. We can all read for ourselves. You need to release the fucking report, and that's where we are. Um, before I get into the rest of the news. Uh, and and our guest for today, who by the way is Igor Volsky, who used to be with the uh, Center for American Progress. He was one of the good guys over at Think Progress, and um, he founded a new organization called Guns Down America. And his book called Guns Down um, is going to be released on Tuesday of next week. So we have him on early. Obviously, it's a, a you know. It's always the right time to talk about getting rid of the guns. So we'll talk with Igor Volsky at, uh, at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to that, I need to um, uh, address again the subject that I talked about a bit yesterday. Yesterday, I, I was talking about the Joe Biden um, problem. Yes, Uncle Joe's got a problem, and it's a problem that he's had for decades, except times have changed. I guess it used to be somewhat okay for, uh, you know, a guy to be touchy-feely. If it wasn't okay, women just... uh, or people. It's not only women that Joe Biden does this to, by the way. He does it to people. He's a touchy-feely kind of guy. And I'm not alleging there's anything sexual in it. I never said there was. I just said it's kind of creepy behavior, especially since it has been brought out before. It has been pointed out before. I mentioned yesterday, and I, I posted on the... Um, Uh, On social media, uh, a a bit from the Daily Show from 2015 with Jon Stewart and Samantha B. about, um, uh, uh, I forget, um, the audacity of grope was the name of the segment. This has been something that has been talked about for ages, but nobody ever did anything about it, probably because there's nothing sexual about it. But it makes people, especially women and especially young girls, uncomfortable. Now, the fact that Joe Biden, I think, has uh, exhibits behavior that's unfortunate, that's that's kind of creepy, um, stands on its own. It has nothing to do with Donald Trump. The fact of the matter is, I, I can criticize Joe Biden or anybody else without having any bearing on the the, the piece of shit that Donald Trump is. So, um, you should see the, uh, the, the, um, the vitriol aimed at me on, on Facebook because I posted a funny picture. It was Joe, you know, massaging the shoulders of Lady Liberty and people were like, you need to remove this post immediately. Well, I don't, I don't feel that way, but, but I think, I guess I need to clarify how I feel about Donald Trump. Again, how I feel about Donald Trump has nothing to do with Joe Biden. Donald Trump is the epitome of the despicable excuse for a human being. You want more? He's a racist and a bigot. He's transphobic and no friend to the LGBTQ community. He's a pathological liar and a manipulator. He's a con man of the nth degree, a classic narcissist and a bully with a complete lack of morality who thinks that the rules don't apply to him. He lacks the empathy gene. He's a gaslighter. He'll never admit a mistake. Instead, he blames everyone else for his failures. He's a sexual abuser with over 16 current accusations of sexual misconduct against him. He's a dictator wannabe who idolizes the world's worst author- authoritarian figures. He's a danger not only to our democracy, but to our planet. We must do everything possible to defeat him in 2020, even amidst legitimate concerns that he will not voluntarily leave the White House. It's all the more important to make sure the Democrats nominate a, vile can- a viable candidate to defeat him. So I've been taking a lot of slings and arrows for daring to criticize Joe Biden. I believe he's the wrong candidate to take on Trump. But criticizing Joe Biden doesn't lessen my disgust for Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a pig. He's, he's a, the laughing stock of the world, and I would laugh at him too if it weren't so deadly serious. The guy is a danger to everything and everything, everyone and everything and everything we hold dear. Um, So, uh, you know, yes, would would I vote for Joe Biden if he was the nominee? Of course I would. That's not even a question. It's not one or the other. Donald Trump is a freak of nature. Donald Trump somehow got the idiots in this country to vote for him. He's a pig. Everything about him is vile. OK, I, I still retain my right to criticize somebody who wants to be the Democratic nominee without having to say, but jo- but but Donald Trump is worse. It goes without saying Donald Trump is 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 a is a, is a oh, my God, is to, to quote Keith Olbermann, the worst person in the world. I shouldn't have to qualify it. I can criticize anybody without it impinging on how I feel about Donald Trump. Donald Trump should not be anywhere near that White House, let alone residing in it, let alone t- holding office hours in the Oval Office. Not that he does. He does the executive time thing in the residence, but you know what I'm talking about. He is a sycophant. He is a, he is a sick person who needs to be removed from office. Period. Full stop. End of sentence. But this is also a democracy and we're in primary season. And yes, I will tout Bernie Sanders. And I'll also criticize him. Guess what? Bernie Sanders needs to release his fucking tax returns already. He said soon, a while ago, he needs to just fucking do it. All right. So, yes, I I like Bernie Sanders. Right now, he's my number one choice, with Elizabeth Warren, a close second. And you know what? When I see things that bother me about the other candidates, I will voice my concerns because I will not blindly follow any political party. And yes, although I don't really want to say it um, because I think it gives the Democratic Party impetus to cheat the way they did last time, and and try to install their chosen candidate, uh, uh, you know, as the nominee, that's not democracy. This is primary season. I will say, I think Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are the my numbers one and two. I think Joe Biden shouldn't run. I think he's an anachronism at this point. And you'll notice, I don't mind Bernie's age, because Bernie appeals to the young people. Joe Biden doesn't. He's from a bygone era. He needs to just go home. I I, I like Joe Biden personally. I think he's probably a nice guy. But but and exactly John Doe um, uh, said, yeah, I was kind of angry with what you said about another Democrat. But this is the time to go through every candidate's weaknesses, not in the main election. This is when we fall in love and we, and we, we, we tout our choices and we say, you know, maybe that guy's not so great. Pete Buttigieg, I know a lot of people are high on him, but maybe you haven't done your homework yet. Let me recommend to you an article in Current Affairs magazine. Just go to Affairs. I think it's .com, not .com, .org, but probably .com. And Nathan, I think it's Henderson is his name, um, I invited him back on the show. I haven't heard back from him yet, but he wrote a long piece about Pete Buttigieg. He read Pete Buttigieg's book, and there were a few things that, that, that he flagged as yeah, kind of, you know, disturbing. Basically, the way Pete Buttigieg sort of sides with, um, the establishment politicos over activists and protesters. I'm I, i not going to paraphrase it because it's a long article, and I think it's worth a read. I will link to it from today's blog at NicoleSandler.com. And yes, as Lambsbred just said in the YouTube chat room, I bet Anita Hill doesn't think Joe Biden's a nice guy. You're right. There's a lot of red flags there for me, and it is my right to voice my opinions. Uh, and I'll continue doing so. And for people who, who are yelling at me to, to, um, <clears throat> you know, take down a funny meme that again, it was, it was a picture of Joe Biden, you know, rubbing on the shoulders of Lady Liberty. It was funny. I wasn't saying anything other than this is funny. Have a laugh. And yet, oh my God! You should see the, the the comments on my Facebook page. Take this down. You're just rooting for Trump. You're going to let Trump win again. No, I'm not. Again, has nothing to do with Trump. Trump is a vile, despicable piece of shit, human excrement. Has nothing to do with my feelings about Joe Biden, uh, uh, positive or negative, or any of the other candidates for that matter. So, um. You know, I do not believe in attacks for the sake of attacking. uh, But I do believe in pointing out uh, questionable errors in judgment and in policy. And sorry, Joe Biden's voting record is as bad as his creepy behavior with people that, you know, invading their personal space. And if you were offended by Donald Trump lurking around Hillary Clinton in that third debate debate, uh, in the last election, um, you should be as equally creeped out by Joe Biden touching people that he doesn't know. OK, so anyway, I just wanted to clear that up. Now, let's get to the news, shall we? I read the news
4: today. Oh, boy.
5: OK, as I mentioned, the April 2nd deadline that House democrat Oh, oh, God. Wait, there's breaking news from Politico. Former Vice President Joe Biden released a video Wednesday. I I guess I should I should um, I should play it. In which he pledges to be more respectful of others personal space. Seriously. All right. Hold on. I'm going to play it for you because this is breaking news. So here's the. um, uh, Here's here's my desktop and here's uh, here's Uncle Joe. Here we go. In so
1: coming month, I expect to be talking to you about a whole lot of issues, and I'll always be direct with you. But today, I want to talk about gestures of support and encouragement that I've made to women and some men that have made them uncomfortable. And i always tried to be, uh, in my career, I've always tried to make a human connection. That's my responsibility, I think. I shake hands. I hug people. I, I grab men and women by the shoulders and say, you can do this. And, and uh, whether they're women, men, young, old, it's, it's the way I've always been. It's the way I've tried to show I care about them and I'm listening. And over the years, knowing what I've been through, the things that I've faced, I've found that scores, if not hundreds of people have come up to me and reached out for solace and comfort, something, something, anything that may help them get through the tragedy they're going through. And, and, uh, and, and so I, it's just, just who, who I am. And I've never thought of politics as cold and antiseptic. I, I've always thought it about connecting with people. As like I said, shaking hands, uh, hands on the shoulder, a hug. We're not talking uh, about shaking
5: people. hands, Joe.
1: Now and now it, it's all about taking selfies together. Um, you know, social norms have begun to change. They've shifted, and the boundaries of protecting personal space have been reset. Aye. And I get it. Aye. I get it. I hear Do what you. Do I you Do you really? It. Yeah. And I'll be much more mindful. That's my responsibility. My responsibility, and I'll meet it. But I'll always believe governing, quite frankly, life for that matter, is about connecting, about connecting with people. That won't change, but I will be more mindful and respectful of people's personal space. And that's a good thing. That's you a good think? Thing. I've worked my whole <laughs> life to empower women. I've worked my whole life to prevent abuse. What about I've Anita written, Hill? And, and so the idea that I can adjust to the fact that personal space is important, more important than it's ever been, is 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 just not thinkable. I will. I will.
5: All righty, then. He will. He will. All right. So there's uh, offered without comment. <clears throat> Back to the news. So, um, uh, as you know, uh, the Attorney General, Bill Barr, had previously stated that he anticipates that he'll release the, the, the Mueller report in a redacted form by mid-April, if not sooner. Well, the House, b- because he blew past the deadline uh, presented to him of yesterday to turn over the Mueller report and the um, supporting uh, information to Congress by yesterday, April 2nd. Um, Uh, So because he didn't, uh, the House Judiciary Committee voted 24 to 17 this morning to authorize subpoenas for testimony and documents from five former White House officials, including Trump's first chief of staff, Reince Priebus, former White House counsel Don McGahn, McGahn's former deputy, Ann Donaldson, former Trump campaign chairman Steve Bannon. And former White House communications director Hope Hicks. They also authorized uh, Chairman Jerry Nadler to issue a subpoena for Robert Mueller's full report and all of the underlying evidence Mueller collected. So, yeah. Now, the vote gives Nadler the discretion to issue a subpoena at any time to the attorney general, a move that likely would launch a legal confrontation between Congress and the Justice Department. But Nadler indicated that he won't issue the subpoena right away. Rather, he said he intends to give Barr time to change his mind about redacting the report before submitting it to Congress. Uh, By the way, Donald Trump had some trouble yesterday spitting out his words when he tried to say uh, that the Mueller report doesn't explore the origins of the Mueller probe. It's origins, not oranges. I hope they
3: now
2: go and take a look at the oranges, the oranges of the uh, uh, investigation, the beginnings of that investigation about the Mueller report. The Mueller report, I wish, covered... The oranges. The oranges. How it what? started. Oh, the how it started. Of the the beginnings of the
5: investigation. How it started. How it started. Um, if you're thinking there's something wrong with him, like he sounds like he had a stroke or something, this happens a lot. Enammas, an really, an anonymous.
2: Anonymous. And God bless the United States.
5: Just saying. He also claimed that his father, who was born in New York City, was born in Germany, twice. Just saying. Uh, The House Oversight Committee yesterday um, also issued four subpoenas related to the White House security clearance process and on the process that led to the administration's decision to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census. Now, regarding those security clearance issues, Tricia Newbold. She's the White House security specialist who came forth as a whistleblower. She spoke to the House Oversight Committee about security clearance issues. Um, and she's gone public with her claims that 25 people in the White House had their clearances granted over officials concerns
3: the stunning charge comes from trisha newbold an 18-year career white house security specialist who told congress 25 officials in the trump administration had their top secret security clearances granted by the white house even though she and her colleagues recommended they be denied why is this issue so important that you felt the need to speak out the protection of national security is not a democratic issue or a republican issue It's an American issue. Newbold, who's filed a discrimination complaint against her White House superior, told lawmakers about those officials' serious disqualifying issues, including foreign influence and conflict of interest. Today, her explosive allegations sparking a showdown on Capitol
2: Hill. You issue a press release, handpick, cherry-pick parts of her testimony. I will protect whistleblowers, period.
3: NBC News first reported that Jared Kushner was among those whose security denial was overruled. And according to the New York Times, the president personally ordered it. But the president has denied it. Legally, he has the power to grant clearances to anyone he chooses. Overnight, Kushner on Fox News dismissed Newbold's concerns. I've been accused of all different types of things and uh, all of those things have turned out to be false. Newbold now fears losing her job.
2: I am always concerned, but it's important that we stand up to do the right thing, no matter what.
3: Peter Alexander, NBC News, The White House.
5: In other news, a woman carrying two Chinese passports and a device containing computer malware lied to Secret Service agents and briefly gained admission to Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago club over the weekend during his visit down here in Florida. Uh, CNN has more.
0: United States Secret Service filing a court document that charges a Chinese woman, her name is using Zhang, with unlawful entry at the Mar-a-Lago compound, in addition to making false statements to Secret Service agents. This stemmed from her attempt to gain access to the facility. She arrived at a U.S. Secret Service checkpoint and purported to be a guest of the club. She continued through a series of additional checkpoints, and when she made her way to the reception area, uh, she told uh, the uh, hotel staff that she was there to attend an event. Uh, They quickly realized that did not exist, and she was questioned by Secret Service agents. She became combative. She was detained and taken to the West Palm Beach resident office of the Secret Service, where her story continued to change. She eventually told them that she was actually sent by someone in China to travel to Mar-a-Lago to attend an event, to try to make contact with the Trump family, to discuss economic issues uh, regarding China and uh, the United States. As they detained her, they actually confiscated a series of telephones, and they found a thumb drive that uh, Secret Service agents are describing contained malicious software now from a national security standpoint obviously mar-a-lago is a key target for foreign intelligence collection Foreign intelligence services it would only take one inserting a thumb drive into the system there to be able to gain access to electronic records for example so obviously a serious security threat there It's worth noting that the president was in mar-a-lago he wasn't on site at the time he was uh, a couple miles away whenever this happened but nevertheless he was in the vicinity we're told that she made her initial appearance in federal court yesterday she'll be back in court next week
5: yes. Yesterday it was Election Day. Voters in Chicago, the country's third biggest city, elected Lori Lightfoot, a former federal prosecutor, over Tony Preckwinkle, president of the Cook County Board, in a mayoral runoff election. The two women emerged this, uh, earlier this year from a crowded field of 14 candidates seeking to succeed Mayor Rahm Emanuel, who decided against seeking a third term. Look there tonight, a lot of little girls and boys are watching. They're watching us. And they're seeing the beginning of something, well, a little bit different. Mm. a little
2: bit. They're seeing a city reborn. A city where it doesn't matter what
5: color you are. And where it surely doesn't matter how tall you are.
2: (laughs) Where it doesn't matter who you love, Just as long as you love, let me say that again, where it doesn't matter who you love.
5: Just as long as you love with all your heart. Yeah, and that was a reference to the fact that Lightfoot, the new mayor of Chicago, is not only the first African-American woman to be Chicago's mayor, but she's also the first openly gay person. But she wasn't the only lesbian mayor to win yesterday. Satya Rhodes-Conway became the first openly LGBTQ person elected mayor of Madison, Wisconsin. And Jolie Justice placed in the Kansas City mayoral primary and will advance to the general election in June. If elected, Justice would be the first openly LGBTQ mayor, uh, major city mayor in the American heartland. So um, uh, although I see in the chat room there's some LGBT that do not like Lightfoot, well, of course, because nobody is a monolith. You can't say, you know, the black vote goes for so-and-so. The gay vote goes for so-and-so because people are individuals. Just thought I'd put that out there. Um, In other news, Bernie Sanders has agreed to do a town hall at Fox so-called News. So put April 15th at 6.30 p.m. on your calendars now. First quarter fundraising figures are now being released by various campaigns. Here's what we have so far. Bernie's in the lead. Sorry, haters, but it's true. $18.2 million raised in 41 days. Kamala Harris in second place with $12 million raised in 70 days. She's been in it the longest of the four who've released their numbers so far. The other two are Beto O'Rourke, who who raised $9.4 million in 18 days. That's that's big. And uh, Pete Buttigieg or Buttigieg, uh $7 million in 68 days. Uh, more to come, I'm sure, in, in the coming days and hours and stuff. Um By the way, the House of Representatives voted this morning to condemn Donald Trump for taking legal action to try to terminate Obamacare. The vote was 240 to 186, with eight Republicans voting yes. Upton, Stefanik, Katko, Fitzpatrick, Smith of New Jersey, Stauber, Riggleman, and Reed. Oh, by the way, one so-called Democrat, Peterson. Of Minnesota, uh, voted with the Republicans, and one Republican Ohio representative voted present. Just in case you were wondering. All right. Um, uh, and and uh, Mitch McConnell is uh, apparently uh, on track to um, kill the judicial filibuster, the filibuster for judicial nominees, in order to speed up the confirmation of Trump's picks, who are already being confirmed at a record clip. Um, so he's gonna he's gonna do this today. Yep, he's ready to push conservative judges through en masse using a nuclear option. Uh, he wants to um, uh, say that uh, the, the Senate uh, right now permits up to 30 hours of debate after halting a filibuster. McConnell's going to make the case that it ought to be two hours. Um, and uh, they said this can pass Uh, by a simple majority, Chuck Schumer responded by saying uh, two hours of post cloture debate is quote unacceptable for a lifetime appointment. It's a mockery. He accuses Republicans of wanting to turn the Senate into a conveyor belt for confirmations. Welcome to the new world order. All right. And with that, it is time to move on, uh, so to speak. Um, So I'm going to get our guest on the line. Let me tell you a little bit about Igor Volsky. I always want to say Igor because I'm a huge um, Young Frank, Frankenstein fan, uh, but I know it's Igor Volsky. Igor Volsky is a, um, uh, well, he is the co-founder and uh, the, <laughs> the co-founder, I, I have it written down somewhere, uh, uh, of, uh, and um, executive director of Guns Down America. It's a new uh, organization that he put together. Well, you know what? Let's bring uh, Igor on the line, and we'll find out from from him exactly about it. Hey, Igor, how are you doing today?
2: Hey, I'm good, Nicole. Thanks for having me on.
5: Oh, well, thanks so much for joining us, and congratulations on the book, Guns Down America, uh, or Guns Down, actually, hits stores uh, on Tuesday. It's Guns Down, How to Defeat the NRA and Build a Safer Future with Fewer Guns. Um, okay, I'm there with you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah, Nicole, I'm really trying to reset the gun control conversation in America, because for so many years, politicians have talked about, well, what we really need to do is make sure that the bad guys don't have the guns or the dangerous people don't have the guns. Right. And truth be told... In a country where two-thirds of our gun deaths are suicides, it doesn't really make any sense. Um, And it also doesn't make any sense because, you know, bad guys don't walk around with bad guys stamped on their head. Uh, You're a bad guy, or you're a good guy, rather, until you pull that trigger and then you're a bad guy. Right. And so what other nations have done, and also what other states here in this country have done, is they've really changed the environment around guns, and they've made it significantly harder for everyone to purchase a firearm, whether you're a good guy or whether you're a bad guy. And what that creates is a situation where you have fewer gun deaths, both suicides and homicides. And ultimately, that's what we're all trying to accomplish.
5: Great. You know, I look at what other countries do. It was some years ago um, that uh, I noticed there was a, an Australian college student who was going to school over here. I want to say Iowa, someplace in the Midwest. And uh, I think he was a tennis player and, and he was out for a run. And these teenagers were bored and they had nothing better to do. So they went out and killed him. Um, And uh, I had heard an interview with a former deputy prime minister of Australia talking about how after, in 1996, they had a a massacre in Australia. I think it was called the Port Arthur Massacre. And they they jumped into action and they passed legislation and haven't had a mass shooting since because they... Fix their gun laws. Just a couple of weeks ago, we saw what happened in New Zealand and and the prime minister of New Zealand and their parliament sprung into action and they've already done something about it. Um, Why can't we do anything here?
2: Yeah, I mean, those international examples are really key. And in Guns Down, I talk in detail about what happened in Australia after that 1996 shooting. And the most interesting piece here, Nicole, is that uh, the prime minister at the time was very close to the Bush family. Mm. Uh, He was a conservative prime minister, one of the more conservative that they've had in that country. But he went around the nation after that shooting telling communities, hey, listen, we look up to America there's a lot about America that we like, but when it comes to guns, we don't wanna import their gun problems into our country. And so we have to pass these strict reforms. Uh, that really blew my mind when, when I learned about that. Uh, and of course, as you point out, they went on to pass sweeping reform, uh, where guns are harder to get. You need a license. You need to register your weapon. There was a mandatory gun buyback. Certain yep. kinds of weapons were banned entirely. Uh, And yes, it was incredibly successful. New Zealand is now moving in that direction. Why are we struggling, right? That's the number one question people ask me all the time. And I think it's a real combination of several factors. First, you have the dollars that the NRA Mm -hmm. hands out to lawmakers so that all they do is think and pray and not actually act to reduce gun deaths. But then the second, I think, Um, is uh, partly of how we've been talking about it, right, is is that there's been this fear, even among progressive politicians, to really tackle this issue. Um, And so, you know, that's where I get into this idea of, dividing people between good guys and bad guys, Mm. and not really centralizing the problem in what it is, which is we have too many guns in this country. We have more guns than people. And until we decide that what we're going to do is build a future with fewer guns and make those guns harder to get, we're not going to solve the problem. So it's on us, really, to push our lawmakers to meet us where we are, because most Americans already support these bolder policies
5: right uh, so we 're speaking with Igor Volsky of, of Guns down America. Their website is gunsdownamerica dot com This is an organization that you co founded you 're the executive director now back a few years ago, you were working at, at uh, think Progress or the Center for American Progress and uh, talking about all kinds of issues and I, I remember this i don 't remember which shooting it was after it was after mm. one of our horrific mass shootings when the politicians did what they do, and they were all tweeting their Thoughts and Prayers, and you went after them on Twitter, and you're like, enough with the thoughts and prayers already. And this sort, is that the impetus? Was that what got you to to found this organization?
2: Yeah, that's very sweet of you to remember. It was after the San Bernardino shooting Um, in uh December of 2015, (sighs) actually December 2nd of 2015. Uh, I heard about the shooting, and at the end of the day, I sat down by my computer, and I saw on my tweet deck I have a column just for mm-hmm. members of Congress, ah. and I saw them tweet uh, their thoughts and prayers, their thoughts. and oh. prayers. Now, you know, nothing about that is incredibly revelatory. They do that after every single mass shooting. Right. But yep. what really struck me is the lawmakers who were doing the most of this kind of thoughts and prayers tweeting were the same people who voted against background checks mm. after Newtown. And so when they had a chance to actually do something, they didn't. And now uh, they were trying to convince their law, their constituents, that they actually care about the issue. And that, frankly, pissed me off. And so I spent the next eight hours, <laughs> tweeting out, literally eight hours, tweeting out how much money they took from the NRA and arguing that the only reason they're thinking and praying and not acting. Uh, was because of those dollars that brought me into the movement that led me to create the organization Guns Down America and ultimately write uh, the book Guns Down.
5: So, And the book, again, will, will be in stores on uh, April 9th. This is this coming Tuesday. And so th- the goal... Is uh, I, I like it? You, you're not talking about incremental. Look, like, so far since the Democrats regained control of the House of Representatives, they've actually moved a couple of bills uh, regarding background checks and gun safety, um, but but they're very incremental uh, moves. And unfortunately, Mitch McConnell probably won't even bring them up for a vote in the Senate. You're saying we need to take bigger, bolder steps than this.
2: Is, do I have that right? Oh, ab- ab- absolutely. I mean, look, background checks is a good policy, but it really only works when it lays, when it becomes a foundation for a much more robust licensing program. And what that means, you know, 10 states in the United States have licensing. Massachusetts, it's probably the gold standard. The way it works is you want to get a gun, okay. That means you have to go to your local police department, you have to get fingerprinted, you have to pass a written test, you have to pass a field test, Hmm. you have to undergo a comprehensive background check, there's a waiting period for you, and only then do you get a gun. That does two separate things. That one reduces gun suicides, because we know that firearm suicides really happen in a short moment of crisis. And that once an individual gets past that moment of crisis, they are far, far, far less likely to try suicide again. That's number one. And number two, it significantly reduces firearm homicides Mm -hmm. because what criminal, right, is going to go in, get fingerprinted, register their weapon, (laughs) uh, and, and and then there's a lot of trouble. So we know what works. It's not like it's a big mystery and, oh, my God, what do we do? We know what works. It's time that our politicians in the House, in the Senate, and those running for president actually advocate for it, actually ask for what we want. They do it on the on climate, the Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. They do it on health care, single payer. They're doing it on tech companies. They're breaking them up. Why is it that on this issue that is life or death are we still doing this? Well, we just got to go very slowly because there are these magical Americans who we can't offend if we tell them that their guns are the problem. That, we've tried that for 20 years. We've tried that since Columbine, right? April yep. 20th is the 20th anniversary of oh Columbine. It has not worked. We need to try a boulder approach.
5: And I agree with everything you said. We need bigger, bolder, you know, drastic ideas. There, but, and and you wonder, we wonder, what is keeping us from doing this? And three letters, NRA. And you spend a lot of time in the book, Guns Down, uh, talking about the NRA. In fact, you have uh, uh, a chapter, The NRA, Birth of a Lobby how the NRA weaponized the Second Amendment, why the NRA is successful, how the NRA cha- channels hatred into political success. Um, and uh, But, but I, I might bring up something that's been in the news for the last few weeks or so. The NRA might be on the brink of insolvency. They're they're crying poverty after spending how much money to have Donald Trump elected? Is this for real? Yeah, thirty million. Wow. It, so is this is this for real? Might we see the end of the NRA? And then let's back up and talk about why the NRA has such a, an outsized role in this fight.
2: Yeah. Well, you know the NRA certainly isn't thriving. It's not thriving under Trump, uh, partly because there's no boogeyman, right? Because what they do best is they tell people that any kind of reform is going to lead to gun confiscation. And so folks run out, they buy more firearms, they renew and buy new NRA memberships. And that's why, the, by the way, is the point of the NRA, right? They're interested in two things. One is selling more memberships to increase their revenue. And two is helping the gun industry sell more guns, because mm-hmm. when they do that, they get money from the gun industry. The industry uh, funds, funds the NRA to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so are they really in bankruptcy? Look, they're a very large organization. They do a lot of different things. The political work uh, is probably a smaller piece of the pie, although it's kind of hard to tell. So it's going to take some time. Uh, to, to bring that organization down. We're working on it. Uh, add guns down. Yep. Um, but, uh, but look, um, they're certainly in a place where the culture and the conversation is changing, right? The fact that after Parkland, you had uh, dozens of companies, I think it's close to 40 companies, break ties with the NRA, that's a really big deal. Um, and that really signals that the NRA is really viewed as toxic to corporate America, and I think eventually um, to, to politicians. In terms of why they've been so successful, it's undeniable that in 1977, uh, a, a man by the name of Harlan Carter wrestled power. Uh, from what was called the old guard, Uh, these leaders who uh, in the late 70s decided, hey, maybe we'll pull back from politics. We'll pull back uh, from um, uh, from kind of weighing in on every kind of gun restriction. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the way, at that time, the NRA openly talked about how the Second Amendment and the rights contained within the Second Amendment wasn't particularly helpful. Uh, to preserving gun rights. So this idea of uh, the Second Amendment gives you an absolute right to own a firearm was invented by the NRA in the latter half of the 1970s, um, but also is is something that they very successfully pushed through uh academia, pushed through legal circles, and of course eventually uh in two thousand eight got the Supreme Court to upend a hundred years of precedent and to find for the very first time uh that an individual has the right to own a firearm inside the home. Uh, that only came about in two thousand eight. So, so let's just put that on the table. Um, but one of the most interesting things that I learned while writing Guns Down Nicole is we know about the money, right? The money that they spend. We know about all the different cultural connections in certain areas of the country. But what I learned from some of the latest research on this is that the NRA is successful because they were they're able to create a real social identity for people. Hmm. So owning a gun and being a gun owner isn't just about having that tool. It's about who you are as a person. You're standing within the community, your religious affiliation, how you view yourself and how you view those around you. And if you look at how they talk about proposed changes, either ones that they're trying to defeat or ones they're trying to advance. It's all couched in this idea of freedom and patriotism that has a real emotional appeal to individual identity. Mm. Um, And that's really why you see NRA members or really a small part of the NRA members who are politically active. uh, That's why they're so vehement because in many ways it's their identity. Um, And there's a, I I talk about in the book, about a scholar who looked at decades of uh, the NRA Rifleman, which is their signature publication. And he analyzed how that publication described um, legislation that, again, they were either opposing or promoting. And he found all of these emotive words. It wasn't about statistics and wonky arguments. Instead, it was all about what this meant for your identity. And then what he did was he looked at the editorial pages of, I think it was four major newspapers, to see if there was an overlap, right? To see when NRA members read uh, the NRA Rifleman, did they then turn around and use the same exact language when they try to make the argument in their own words, right, in these mm-hmm. newspapers. And what he found was an incredible amount of overlap that I think it's something like 67% uh, of these editorials that dealt with guns from a, from a pro-gun perspective used this identity language, which really suggests that it's so, so powerful and it's so, so potent. And that's just part of the way that the lobby is able to hold such a, such a lock on on a lot of its most fervent followers,
5: right? And, and the NRA actually used to be an organization that you know that that was for gun owners, and it morphed over the years into a, a lobbying group for gun manufacturers and arms dealers, right? Well,
2: you know, this is actually something that really stunned me. That I always thought that that was the case, right? Uh-huh. I believed before I sat down and wrote guns down that until about the 1970s, the NRA was exactly what you described. Right. But what I learned shocked me, and that is I found uh, evidence that the first time that the NRA weighed in on a gun law, I believe it was 1907, in New York. Uh, New York was trying to pass gun restrictions. The NRA weighed in, and guess what, Nicole? They used the same exact language that they do today about this law will lead to confiscation, this law will only disarm uh, uh, the good guys but arm the bad guys and make all of us dangerous and and make, make, make the world more dangerous. And what I learned also is that during that period, until about the 1970s, publicly, The NRA would position itself as this organization of sportsmen and hunters, right? But privately, in communications with their members, they used the same exact language that they do today to get them to oppose these measures. And so what changed in 77, after after Harlan came to power, was that those two worlds became one. Hmm. And what they said publicly, they also then said privately.
5: Wow. You know, so many of us, uh, for me, I go go down to the simplest common denominator and I look at the language of the Second Amendment that clearly says a well-regulated militia. Uh, It says nothing about private use of ownership of guns. So, you know, and this but this is where we are now. So. You, in the book, again, uh, Igor Volsky is our guest, his new book that will be in stores uh, and available on Amazon and the usual sources, available this coming Tuesday, is called Guns Down, How to Defeat the NRA and Build a Safer Future with Fewer Guns. Um, In it, you have the new Second Amendment Compact. So what is this? What are you proposing?
2: So this is my new bold vision. And this is, I think, where we need to move as a country if we really want to reduce gun deaths. And the policies I talk about can really be divided into three different buckets. Bucket number one is really regulating the gun industry, ensuring that the products they produce are actually – uh, tested and and that there's a regulatory body overseeing those products because what happened in the in the late 80s and early 90s is the industry started producing not just the assault weapons that mass shooters are using mm. but they're also producing militarized handguns mm. that use larger rounds those rounds coming come at you faster and so in our urban cities where there's a lot of gun violence There's a lot more death today than there was years ago because of these militarized products, these militarized products that they're putting in civilian hands. There's no single regulatory agency that oversees this because of a loophole, uh, that the, now the late John Dingell put into law. That needs to change along with a whole lot of other changes that ensure that the, that, that, that the firearm industry is actually regulated. So that's bucket one. Bucket two is the piece we talked about, right? The licensing piece, the registration piece, that you you should have insurance Mm -hmm. uh, when you have a firearm. Uh, That's the piece about making firearms harder to get and raising the standard for gun ownership in this country. And then bucket three deals with urban gun violence, right? Places like Chicago and Baltimore and Philadelphia. What we've seen there, Is that there are very effective community-based violence intervention programs that are operating all across the country that focus on building safer and just communities um, from the ground up. Uh, Those programs have successfully diffused situations and have reduced gun deaths by a range of about thirty to seventy percent. The problem is it's hard to scale them when there's when there's not a steady stream of federal funding and so um, in the book, I talk about ways of really expanding and, and building on those programs uh, because they're able to get at the problem without overcriminalization without some of the you know some of the challenges you face um, when when you when you try to take guns off the streets,
5: right? And, and I'm looking in the, in the YouTube chat room. Diane just said, "In the firearm industry, also should be sued and not protected from lawsuits." And in fact, we just saw yeah. a decision handed down that said Remington can be sued. I think it was a reversal of an of a of a, of a ruling. Is that right?
2: Yeah, there was a there's a 2006 law that was uh, that that uh, the NRA had championed for years that protects the gun industry and gun dealers from most, most, most liability. Um, So for instance, you know, if I uh, am driving a car and the car uh, has uh, tires, for instance, that don't work well in rain, and I get into an accident, Mm -hmm. part of the blame, right, is mine. Maybe I wasn't driving well or whatever the case may be, but part of the blame, uh, is also on, on the manufacturer of, of the car, right? Say they knew that, that these wheels were faulty and maybe their tests showed that they're not the best wheels, but they were the cheapest wheels. And so those are the wheels they put on the car. In any other industry, you're able to go into court and say, Hey, I know. That let's say uh, whatever the you know car company is mm-hmm. that they've been um, that that they've been uh, neglecting uh, and uh, and and not paying attention to the fact that they they were told that these aren't the right tires but they put those tires on the car and you know they have some level of liability here. You can't do that in the gun space. Right. You can't sue a gun manufacturer if they purposely purposely market assault weapon, assault weapons to young men, for instance, right? Um, And so that decision that you're referring to is really the first step of challenging uh, that law. And then, of course, you know, I talk about overturning it in the book. uh, And that, of course, is also for the movement as a whole is a big, big priority.
5: Now, you also say, you know, don't expect uh, results overnight. Uh, unfortunately, we're not New Zealand. I wish we were. But um, uh, I'm reading it says taking a page out of the playbook for the fight of the fight for marriage equality. Volsky argues that you don't get a half a loaf of bread by asking for half a loaf. Um, so you're saying shoot big, but know that this is going to take a while, that this is this is a, we're in it for the long haul.
2: We're in it for the long haul. You know, somebody once told me, good things take a while. Uh, and this is certainly one of them. You know, in my organization, Guns Down America, uh, we focus a lot on, uh, on financially draining the gun industry and the NRA, right? Mm-hmm. Finding ways to create distance between corporate America and the gun industry. I think that's an important piece of advocacy that helps speed up the process. Um, But at the end of the day, we have a long road towards convincing our lawmakers that, number one, they need to reframe this debate and they need to approach this from a position of strength, right? The fact that the majority of Americans are are on their side and they believe in these bolder solutions. I mean, 70% of Americans think we already have gun licensing, right? Um, um, But, you know, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us voting. It's going to take all of us prioritizing this issue and voting on this issue, just like the other side does. Um, And it's really going to take us asking our leaders, those who claim to support us. To champion this issue, because, Nicole, after the House passed the background check bill Mm -hmm. that you mentioned, guess how many Democrats in the Senate? There's 47 Democrats in the Senate. Guess how many of them even bothered to tweet about the fact that 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 progress has been made on this issue? I'm afraid. I'm
5: afraid uh, three. Well, it's not three. It's 16. Okay, but (laughs)
2: 16 of 47. (laughs) Better than I thought. yes. Right. Yeah, it's yep. still tiny and embarrassing, frankly.
5: Now how, so how the long road. How are the um uh, the the Democratic contenders for twenty twenty? Are any of them stepping out and and you know, saying the things that you want to hear from a presidential candidate?
2: Not yet. Hmm. Uh, but to be fair, few actually have detailed proposals, right, on, on this issue or on any issue. So right. there's a lot of time for them to get right. Um But I've been, frankly, disappointed thus far to see the big ideas that we've already talked about, right? The Green New Deal, the Medicare for Mm -hmm. All, the breaking up of tech companies, the the surcharge tax on multi-multi-millionaires. It's the year of big ideas, which is great. But when it comes to guns, all they still talk about are background checks, assault weapon ban. Those things are important. But until they reframe the conversation and center it on the notion that it's the guns that are the problem, uh, we're still going to be behind, frankly.
5: Yeah, I hear you. You know, uh, Igor, I live in Florida. I'm actually in a town called Coral Springs which is the sister town to, to Parkland. We share a fire department and a police department. So it was the Coral Springs police who responded to the calls at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Uh, We've lived with this. There's now this beautiful structure that's built in downtown Coral Springs called the Temple of Time, which is a temporary wood structure that's gorgeous that is for memories and people have written all over it. And, and sometime in May, it'll be burned down. This is a, a community that a year later is still hurting and healing. Um, but I got to say, we take a lot of inspiration from those young kids who, who live in yeah. my neighborhood, who are doing the right things. Are you heartened by the, by the actions of the kids?
2: Oh, I am. They've revitalized this movement. They've inserted a new issue into this movement. And they're going to be really the future leaders of this movement making the progress we need to to build safer communities with, with much, much fewer guns.
5: I hear you. Uh, Igor, Igor Volsky. Sorry, I'm uh, young <laughs> Frankenstein. I, I get mixed up. Um, guns Down is the name of the book. You can find out more about it at the organization Guns Down America at GunsDownAmerica.com. Follow Igor on Twitter at Igor Volsky or at Guns Down America. Thank you so much. Thank you for writing this book and for joining us today. This is important work, and I appreciate you doing it.
2: Thanks so much, Nicole.
5: Take care. And with that, we're done. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye.